Hello. Uh, Hi. Welcome. <laughs> hey. <laughs> welcome to uh, Conversations on the Turtle. I'm Danielle. And I'm Cecilia. And we are starting with, um, we are reading from Ashtanga Pradayam, Chapter 1, um, Sutra Stana. Uh, and we're on page 13 of our editions. I don't know how many editions there are of this, but we were starting with uh, Desa Vedaha, um, Kinds of Habitat. Is there anything we want to talk about before we start our reading? I actually have a question for you since it's the middle of the summer. Yeah. We talked about um, we talked about different qualities. I don't know, maybe last time or the time before. But I was wondering, because this is a question I always have for myself, but it comes up a lot. What do you eat for breakfast during the summer? I often skip breakfast during summer. Um, it's hard, though, because I like coffee. And um, I don't want to skip breakfast if I drink coffee. So sometimes the coffee really bothers my stomach. Um, I've found right now, because this is a summer where I have way too much kapha, um, I find that uh, I've been eating just like a whole cucumber for breakfast or um, That's fruit. pretty great. <laughs> yeah, like I actually ate a whole, cu whole cucumber this morning um, and like a half a piece of toast. Um, I, uh, yeah, I've had a hard time with breakfast because I really love sweet, heavy fall and winter breakfasts. Like my Me favorite too. breakfast. Me it's too. like oatmeal <laughs> full of like stewed prunes and lots of ghee and maple syrup. I love, I have a terrible sweet tooth. And the warming um, which, spices. <laughs> yes. Um, so right now I'm, but I'm also like not that hungry lately. And my, um, my, I mean, my digestive fire is almost dead <laughs> right now. Like I'm not in touch with it. I'm totally off balance because I have this kapha imbalance. And, um, and so I was trying to skip breakfast for a while and now I'm just going super light. Um, yeah, I like and that. that's usually, it's usually fine. It gets me through to lunch. I have a real hard time, like not snacking after lunch though, like three to you know three to five that's they say that's like the danger time um that's a really hard time for me to get through i'll like grab a snack without even thinking like my brain just turns off and i'm like oh it's it's like vata time you know so like you just like yeah. you just like go for things and then i'm like oh my god how did this cupcake get in my digestive system that's so weird like that's what happens to me every afternoon so um yeah and then i eat like too much for dinner too so <laughs> <laughs> mornings are pretty easy to stay awake lately yeah all right how about you it's, what are you doing so right now so austin since he's a farmer he kind of needs to have more breakfast and he it's kind of feels nice to eat something together i've been eating a lot of berries recently because it's blackberry season right now Ooh. so that's felt nice although sometimes that doesn't feel like it sustains me I, for a little bit, we had some avocados and I would have like half an avocado for breakfast. And that was really nice because it felt light. It didn't, it felt light in my body, but it was heavy enough with the fat to sustain me through to lunch. And you're also um, nursing. Yeah, I'm nursing right now. So it's, yeah, we go back and forth. We've been having some millet, which feels lighter than, you know, like oats or something like that. 
Yeah. Um, that's kind of maybe more room temperature, like cooked and letting it sit, like cool down a little bit. But yeah, mm. it's tough. I, it's a. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm having a hard time with lunch lately because um, I don't, and dinner actually, I don't want to cook. It's too hot in my house. Um, and like last night, because I didn't want to cook and I started feeling hungry pretty late, we like ordered Thai food. Um, Thai food's delicious, but it's super spicy and it's super heavy, especially if you get chunky noodles, which is like yeah. my favorite. <laughs> so, like, so I woke up and I was like, oh, I never want to eat food again. I'm still full, you know? <laughs> and um, this ends up happening fairly often lately because it's just so hot. I don't want to cook. When I cook up, it's great, though. Um, and when we pick up our farm chair today, I'll be inspired to cook again at the end of the week when the farm chair starts dwindling. That's how I feel. Or if we have too many, uh, too much corn in the farm chair is bad. We have a yeah, lot of corn in our farm chair, and I no. just like, don't know what to do with that much corn. I don't love corn. Yeah, it's I don't fine. like. Well, I don't. Corn doesn't make me feel great either. Yeah, me too. Um, summer is hard. I'm definitely like built for colder weather. Well, I want. I want the yams. <laughs> I want oatmeal. I like pancakes. I love baking bread. Yeah. The heavy stuff. I just, I don't know. If summer, I always feel just so, I honestly just want to like eat a popsicle and like <laughs> sit in water. Yeah. <laughs> That's like all I really want to do. <laughs> yeah. I get um, tricked into uh, eating ice cream and then I'm like, ice cream is a mistake. Um, popsicles are definitely safer than ice cream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I, I think, yeah, I think I find cooking and eating can be the toughest, especially during these months, like July and August, because by now it's been really hot for a while and it was still will be really hot for a while. And so I like, I don't know, <laughs> just get into this weird funk. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I, I often want, um, like, I always want chips and salsa this time of year, um, yeah. which aren't, which aren't great, but they're like cool and like light. And by cool, I mean like actually cold, um, yeah. but my stomach hates them. And then, uh, they can be, it can be a little too spicy for this time of year. Um, but something like that, like, a, um, like a really good, uh, uh, I, cr I used to create, what's it called? I can't think of the name of it. The cold gazpacho. Gazpacho, um, yeah. Yeah. I've never made it, though. So maybe I should try. Um, when you have children, you end up cooking whatever they will eat, and then you find yourself <laughs> less satisfied. Um, and this is the, uh, this is part of my daily uh, food trouble. <laughs> it's, um... I don't know, summer's, it's just like, it's tomato season, right? But tomato, because, like, tomatoes and hot peppers and all these things are coming in. But I, with the my own pitta and then the pitta of the universe, like, those just don't mix very well. Like, if I have tomatoes, it just makes my stomach hurt because they're too acidic. And it's, I don't know, just doesn't seem to work. <laughs> yeah, I'm having the same issue right now. And I think it's a sign that I have to lay off the coffee. Um and I need some good night's sleeps to do that. And once I get a few good night's sleeps and I'm like on schedule, I'd be I can like 
you know, take a break from coffee. But I just, but um, I just love, I love the coffee though. I do too. And it's just too hot at night. I'm not sleeping very well. Yeah. Um, so then I wake up and I'm like, not today. <laughs> today was one of those days. I was like, not today. This will not be not the day you put coffee, Danielle. Today is not the um, day. No. Um, Beatrix you know she's maybe more in tune with her own cycles now i mean she won't really go to sleep until it's dark uh we've tried to make a little dark room but she doesn't like that room as much as she likes the other one so (laughs) we just kind of stay up until it's dark and then we think like why is it still so hot why is it so hot here why is it still 90 degrees yeah we last night was the first night where i really felt that way because like up here it doesn't get it doesn't like usually once the sun goes down you're good um and i like can put the fan in the window in the bedroom and then i'm good like last night that was not the case um and i'm pretty sure the next couple days we're having like a little bit of a heat wave um and i it's funny because like the people that i talk to most uh don't live in new england and they're like it's been like over a hundred <laughs> like what yeah. they are and i'm like oh it's like 90 degrees and i'm i'm like a puddle and um and they're like oh it was like 110 here yesterday <laughs> i'm like oh sorry <laughs> but um but for me that's pretty hot <laughs> i think today we're looking at 92 which is less than yesterday yesterday was like 96. Um, this that kind of leads. We can talk in, into kinds oh. of habitat. That's where we're starting. Yeah, now. right. It's a nice little segue. Yeah. Do you want? I can start if you want to. Sure. So, Desha Be Bedaha. So kinds of habitat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Desha habitat, in this science, is said to be of two kinds: Bumi Desha, region of land, and Deha or Desha, the body. Bumi Desha land region is of three kinds. Jangala, which is a predominant of Vata. Anupa, which is predominant of Kapha. And Sadharna, Sadhana. My my pronunciation is way off this morning. (laughs) Which is all the malas, doshas in normal conditions. And the note is the jungle region is arid or desert-like land with no mountains or hills, has less vegetation, poor water resources, and is more breezy. Anupa is marshy land with more water, more vegetation, very less of sunlight and heat. Sadarana is the moderate type with few mountains, hills, moderate water, vegetation, and sunlight. I, um, when I read this recently, I, um, I had just watched, um, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender <laughs> with my nine-year-old, and, um, the, um, land-bending master's name is Boomy, and I was like, oh, that's where it comes from. <laughs> so, uh, the earthbender, he's not a landbender, but earth is, you know, a region of, Boomy is region of land, um, so I was like, oh, they pulled it from... Vedic traditions. <laughs> <laughs> they pulled from all of it. <laughs> they did. They pulled from all of it. Um, but it was actually 
a really fun watch for that reason. Because <laughs>、um, my son was like, "Where does this come from?" You know, and I'd be like, "Oh, I know a little bit about some of this stuff." <laughs> That's、um, neat to have that context. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of fun.、Um, and he knows like he knows like some like chanting and stuff. He, he, he watches like, Bollywood stuff with you, right? Yes, yeah, he loves Hindi movies,、um, <laughs> especially Shah Rukh Khan movies, but. <laughs> Some salmon, yeah, depends, but but yes. So he's got like some of these concepts, Dan.、Um, but I, um, yeah, I. Well, it's funny. I guess. Do ha- I guess I have I have one note here. I wrote habitat is the body and the land, and、uh, both reflect the relationship to the elements. So.、Um, So your like body and the habitat in which you live like have to you know sync up in order to、um, in order to、uh, be in balance. And、um, I thought about how we can imagine our physical being as an extension of the land in which we exist. Yeah, yeah, that's neat. And what do you think the effect of Climate-controlled houses are on that, or like our our existence in climate-controlled places. I think about that a lot <laughs> because,、um, well, I just、um, liberated an air conditioner from the basement, and、um, <laughs> that doesn't belong to me.、Uh, I found it down there, and I asked around. Nobody knew who it belonged to, and out of desperation, I installed it. But every year,、um, I try to avoid the air conditioner for as long as possible.、Um, and when I worked in an office,、um, it was、uh, a, a while ago, a long time ago. This is actually before I studied Ayurveda. I didn't let them install the AC in my window every year. I was like the only person who didn't have an AC.、Uh, the building wasn't air conditioned; it was a really old building, and、um, and everybody was like so weirded out by that. But I found that if the AC was in, installed, I had a much harder time going outside, and、um, and I would get really hot or really cold very easily.、Um, so I've always I I don't know what changed like when I realized that I know you know what I think it was when I lived in Japan.、Uh, when I lived in Japan, Japan's really hot, and I lived in southern Japan, and.、Um, And I don't remember what the temp was, but it's super hot and it's super humid. But I noticed in Japan, the air conditioning is very low. It's like a subtle shift, and because of that, you adjust to the temperature outside pretty easily. And when I noticed, I've never been somebody who has had like you know central AC in their place. I usually like live in old apartments and. Um, but we usually have an air conditioner around for when there is a heat wave.、Um, but that being said, like you know, I, I guess I just didn't think much about it until I lived in Japan and I saw the difference between the indoor settings and the you know the outside and how subtle it was and how I noticed I was able to adjust. And so, like riding my bike in ninety plus degrees with hundred percent humidity. Didn't feel like the end of the world to me because I wasn't going from like sixty degrees、um, with like you know fluorescent lighting <laughs> to to the outdoors.、Um, yeah, I, I think it makes a big difference. I um, 
It's interesting because I, I had the same thing living in Denmark. I mean, Denmark is not hot, <laughs> um, but they do have, it does get warm in the summer and there isn't a lot of air conditioning. But by being outside, even in the winter, like by biking to work or walking around, it just like the whole, your connection to the environment is much more tangible. And so when I went back to Houston, I tried to go on walks like around lunchtime outside with one of my friends, which was, I mean, funny because we were like at a Houston office building with like on this kind of major road with, I don't know, it was Houston, right? Where people stop and ask if your car broke down when they see you walking. Um, <laughs> but it was actually like that summer was much easier for me. I kept my air conditioning off as long as possible, as you said, in my house. And just by being in the environment more, it was a lot easier to, I don't know, it wasn't so extreme. It's so tough if you go from like a 60, as you said, like a 67 degree office with fluorescent lights out into like the daytime, whatever that temperature is, it can be, it's such a shock. Yeah. Your body doesn't have any way to adjust and your body doesn't, I try always to think of what would be, I'm doing this a lot with a baby too, like what would people have done way back when? Because that maybe is more natural or more like attuned to ourselves, and that can so yeah. much that can just like ease the transition so much. And I think, I mean, I'm saying that, fully admitting that we have an air conditioner here for the afternoons um, when it's 98 degrees outside, but it it just makes a huge difference if you're in your environment for some part of the day. Definitely, I um. I noticed too, uh, so after I had that job where I had the luxury of having like windows that opened, I worked in an office building on like the 18th floor in downtown Boston for a little while. And um, it was a completely closed off building and my office was in the center of the building. So like it was one of these weird like co-working spaces and, Mm -hmm. um, and I had no windows to the outside like I could leave my office and like go to the kitchen and sit in like the cafe and look out over the city if I wanted to but even in the winter time like not having any I I only worked there part-time but it it really did like not seeing the outside uh during the day um and not um and that, that recycled air and like on the 18th floor um like my nose was dry um, I was tired a lot. Like it, I really felt, um, I really felt like out of it working there. Um, and I realized how lucky I was to have this, like, I mean, my office, the windows that opened overlooked like a giant forest. Like it was quite nice. And I could just sit outside whenever I wanted, like I could take my laptop outside or, um, so being in this space where I was completely sectioned off from the environment, um, even though it was like only for like four hours a day, it still felt pretty terrible. I mean, some people are working 40 plus hours a week in buildings like that. And um, I really feel for them, I do. It's also a testament to how, to what we can get used to, right? So if you, yeah. if you graduated from college and you just got a job on that 18th floor and you worked there 40 hours a week, like you wouldn't know any different. So your body just thinks like, like you maybe think that you would just have dry eyes or that, you know, that all these things are maybe part of your own condition or they're nor they're normal. Like we normalize all these really weird things in our, in our really, society. That's a really good point. I feel like I, 
I encounter a lot of this with clients who just say, like your example, like, oh, I, I'm just someone with dry eyes. And then when you look at their life, you're like, oh, well, this makes sense because of all of these, you know, other parts of your life. And um, sometimes people are really reluctant to accept that, you know, they've internalized these um, problems that they have or these like discomforts as part of their identity. And um, yeah, it's like kind of, I, I don't know, it's a, uh, it can be, it, it's hard to, um, I think that taking control or admitting that, or, or even understand, I don't want to say admitting, but maybe even understanding that you aren't, um, that these things aren't inherent in you, um, is sometimes scary because it uh, means that when you know that there's a problem, I think that there's a part of us that feels like not taking action is being irresponsible. And, yeah. um, and so it's easier to say that this is something within me that is, you know, unchangeable. So that way we, we don't have to take action, you know. Yeah, you don't have to disrupt your status quo, right? You can just keep doing yeah. what you're doing. Um, um, and that can be scary. I know that. Like, I, It can be I really scary. But it's yeah. also, I mean, we can think about... I was texting with a friend of mine who's a teacher the other day asking her kind of what she thought should happen with kids going back to school in the midst of all this, which I don't really want to get into right now. But anyway, we were talking about <laughs> and hoped that Daniel's like, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> um, we had just hoped that and I remember talking about this at the very beginning of the pandemic, that maybe this was a chance for us to reimagine things in our world like what does a workplace look like and what do days look like and what does family leave time look like or what do jobs look like do we all need to be working this many hours a week those kinds of things because when you have disruption you can actually think about them yeah. like when there's no disruption and you suddenly <clears throat> realize that your dry eyes might be a result of your office rather than your being then you're kind of like well maybe i have to like change my life Whereas now the disruption is external, but it can allow for, it can facilitate other change, perhaps. Yeah, it's like, it's like enforced right now. Yeah. Like, we don't really have a choice. <laughs> we have to see a lot of things right now that we weren't necessarily prepared to see. And that, yeah. like, for better or for worse. And so we have an opportunity in some ways to, to roll with this and to make changes. I, I feel like a lot of businesses um are really taking a good look at what's working for them right now and what's not and what's working for their employees and like what a healthy work environment looks like um and some of them are choosing to allow for more remote work or um you know a, a encouraging their employees to do more i don't know like physical i heard a uh, i heard mm. google was gonna have their people work from home until july of 2021 yeah, I heard that too. My my husband's um, work uh, there, you know, this is like something that comes up a lot. So whenever any, whenever another big um, tech company um, makes uh, a, a statement or like you know declares something like that, I think all of their ears perk up. They're like, oh, what, what are they yeah. doing? Like, why aren't we doing that? Um, so that's a little bit of what the conversation that um, is going around his office where they're all still allowed to work remote. Um, but he goes in just because we live nearby and nobody else is there. So he gets to be there all by himself. That's um, nice. Without 
you know, be podcasting next to him and my son right. running in circles, asking him why he can't hang out. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I had another point to that. Go, go ahead. Yeah. So my other one was about, so my original question was how does it affect us being inside? And while you were talking, I was kind of thinking that it still is a microcosm, macrocosm. We've just created this additional environment Layer. that actually does reflect us, right? Like, so our being sitting in a chair in, with fluorescent lights and no sunlight and recirculated air and all these things, that is reflected in our being, too, in the same way that um, whatever environment we're in, whether it's this dry, arid one the text talks about like that is that can be reflected in our being too yeah and it's important to remember like that within your environments that you create so your home environments and also the ones you choose so your work what does that mean yeah that makes me think a little bit about um uh kappa imbalances and um you know there, there are some kinds of kappa imbalances that are so that um like that hoarding is um uh, like a, a symptom uh, of and um, and how people in environments that are too um, jam-packed with garbage <laughs> uh, they tend to uh, reflect that in their physical being as well um, yeah even though you know it's a created space but you end up you know taking on more kapha because you are surrounded by kapha uh, that's interesting. We're not I, going um, totally Montessori with the baby, but like some of the principles resonate with us. And one of mm. the principles I really love is the cleanliness or the simpleness of your environment. Mm. And that um, you want to create spaces for baby which are organized and clean and like things have places because that, I mean, they're making imprints on their their whole being and their mind and everything right now and it can make a difference in how they feel and I I can I maybe I'm just imagining it but I feel like I can notice it in her you know when most of the time everything's kind of in its place and we're pretty organized because we're in a small mm. space so we have to be but when it's not she feels more chaotic too yeah um yeah, my son started out um, well he didn't start out in Montessori school but he ended up at a Montessori school for a while and um, I think it was pretty, it was like pretty good for him to learn some like, uh, learn to organize his mind, you know, like it, yeah. it extended um, to like an organized mind. Um, he, he did like, when he was four years old, he started school in Japan. And uh, in Japan, they have a similar kind of, actually his school in Japan was very like Montessori-like and I didn't realize it at the time but when we came back and I saw that the Montessori school was like it's like oh yeah I, I bet their whole learning these... yeah yeah it's pretty similar I mean Denmark's the same way their preschools are not Montessori by name but they are they have a lot of the same principles yeah like the kids like clean the floors like the kids are the janitors at school in Japan so they like yeah they wash the floors in the morning and they uh, clean their cubbies and they fold all their clothes. They have, each have a cubby with like clothes. And it was funny. I didn't realize that Ansel was like learning how to fold clothes. And then one day when I was folding the laundry, he like sat down and started folding laundry with me. And I was like, Oh, I did this with you. Weird. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, um, on the subject of, uh, 
because we were talking about office spaces and whatnot and schools reopening. Um, I, I've heard that there are some preschools right now that are doing full day outside rain or shine with kids. Um, and I really wish the public schools would adopt this, even if it's just for a month or two, just to have, like, I'd feel so much better about my kids sitting on a picnic blanket outside. Um, even if it's just for a couple hours a day <clears throat> with his class, um, than I would in uh, a space with like recycled air where they have to wear masks indoors instead of outdoors. Yeah. Um, I think it would just be better for them all around. Um, yeah, and might, even without like, the, the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, even without a pandemic, right? Um, I don't think that that's part of the conversation in the school system that we're in, but. Um, that somebody had told me that uh, a friend of theirs had their kid in a, a preschool that had adopted that, and, um, and I was like, oh, "God, that would be, I would be pretty excited about that." Um, yeah, I have, I have dreams of forest school. <laughs> yeah, right. I know of a few, but they're all on the west coast. I haven't yeah. looked into them here. Really. Um, in uh, in the office spaces in Denmark, this is just. I don't know the exact rule, but there is a rule about where your desk is located and you actually have to have natural sunlight wherever your office oh, wow. space is. Um, wow. and there, I mean, they have to think about it in Scandinavia, right? Because light and seasonal um, affected disorder and everything are so prevalent when you're only having a little bit of daylight and very gray daylight in the winter. But I mean, yeah. it's, I mean, how amazing, right? To, to know that at your desk you have, you have natural light. Even if you're in a basement, you know, they make sure there are windows and things like that, which completely changes the feel of an office space. Yeah. Um, that's, that's pretty amazing. It does make sense for there um, that they do that there. But, but um, it makes sense everywhere, right? Yeah. I mean, we all need it. Right. They just have to. They just have to consider it. They're forced to, right? Their environment forces them to think about it differently. Um, yeah. I mean, we get quite a bit of winter up here, so anyone's yeah. listening who has any power to make changes like that <laughs> 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 to incorporate these things, it's worth considering. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was like, I was like shocked when I was in an office that had like no no real light at all i was like we had like a full window that looked out into the hallway like the the room was literally made out of glass like i was in a glass room like a box in the middle of a, <laughs> of a weird co-working space but um i had never worked in a big giant office building like that before um i had never been actually i'd never worked in a office setting that was a co-work you know like the co-working spaces or even a building with more than three floors so um it was it was an introduction to um a world that is way huge that i had just never been in before yeah <clears throat> it's um, a lot of people work in these buildings it's amazing also how contrast can help you to see things how, how much easier it is as we were saying before, if you just got a job when you were younger and that was your first office space and everyone after that was like mm -hmm. that, you just assume, I mean, you had a different experience. So then it was very remarkable to be in that. I remember coming back here from the from Denmark and I'm on kind of my third job <laughs> being back um, just because it was kind of hard to find a place that fit with what I was looking for. 
And I mean, the first two, the offices were the most depressing places I've ever, like one was in a basement and there was no light and it was horrible air. And it was just every day going in there, (laughs) it was horrible. It was really, really You're awful. like, why can't I just do this from home? Like, yeah, exactly. Know, like, like why do I need to be here? And the other yeah. one felt like a basement, even though it wasn't a basement. And there was stuff all over the place. Anyway, yeah, so it does actually impact you, right? The places, I guess that's it. That's part of this, the kind of habitat, is that your spaces do impact you. And they're, it's important to be cognizant of the kind of places that you're spending time. Yeah, definitely. Um. Maybe we should talk about um, kind of time, Kala Bedaha. kinds of time. Kala, time, which is relevant to the administration and and selection of drug or therapies, is of two kinds. That time, (laughs) commencing with Krishna moment, etc., and that of the stages of disease. Um, the notes. Kashana is the minimum unit of time measurement and is equivalent to the time required for winking of the eyelid once or uttering of one letter of the alphabet. Kasta, Kala, Nadika, Muhurta, Yama, Ohoratra, Paksha, Masa, Ritu, Ayana and Samvatsara are the successive units of knowledge of, of this external time is essential for collection of drugs at appropriate period, preparation of recipes, administration to the patient, etc. The disease develops in the body in different successive stages and not all of a sudden. Each stage has its own characteristic signs and symptoms. Recognition of each stage helps the physician to assess the strength of the disease and decide the appropriate drug and therapy required for that stage. Hence, the necessity of two kinds of time. Um, that was a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So basically, <laughs> kinds of time... Uh, my notes say uh, appropriate time for treatment, for use of medicine, for collection of medicine, uh, recognizing how time work works in disease stages and understanding where and when to apply therapies is all important. And that, to me, all just goes back to presence, being present to the disease, to the time of day, to how we take these th- and how we take these things for granted, like how, you know, if you're truly present, you have an idea of like, how did this disease get from A to M or where, whatever, how it traveled mm-hmm. through the body. Um, and you're aware of the time of year in which this happened, the environment. Um, and then you have to be aware of these things when you are um, giving therapy. So um, if you have a pitta disorder during a kapha season, for example, um, it you might want to like, or I guess like a, maybe a kapha disorder during a pizza season, uh, like I have right now, um, you have to be careful with the drugs that you're administering because you could accidentally raise pickle during kapha, you know, because pitta yeah. often counteracts kapha. Um, you just have to pay attention to like every aspect of time and place and the, um, and the environment that you're in and, um, and, 
I think this all just comes back to presence. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, that whole like awareness of the development of the disease, I think is really important. So where is it in its lifespan too? You know, is it yeah. in the kapha stage of its disease development? Or is it, has it moved on from there? What is the strength of it, everything? Yeah, I think that's the presence really that captures it quite a lot. And also this whole, like, yeah. it's all, everything, you know, the thing we read about things being disease, or sorry, being medicine, poison, or food. Um, if you're administering a therapy and it's not in the right time, like in time of, in terms of moment, but also not, doesn't resonate with the stage of the disease, like you could actually make things worse. You could, you know, prescribe poison inadvertently. Yeah. Um, everything. I think this entire chapter goes back to that first statement about this uh, divine, this doctor who has the ability to um, be present and take their ego out of the equation so that they can see the truth, you know, so Definitely. that they can access, yeah. um, they can not be blinded by... Um, by one aspect of knowledge. Uh, they have to be able to see all, all aspects at once. Um, should we go on to kinds of therapies? Yeah. Aushada, Bedaha is kinds of therapies. Aushada, uh, medications, therapies is in brief of two kinds, Shodana, purification, and Shamana, palliative. So the notes say, Shodana is the method of eliminating the aggravated doshas from the body forcibly, thus purifying it. Shamana, on the other hand, is to mitigate the aggravated dosha within the body itself. And then it goes on. For the doshas of the body, basti, which is uh, enemas, virekana, which is purgations, vamana, amesis, are the best therapies respectively. Likewise, all talia, oil, gurta, ghee, or butterfat, and madhu, honey. The note on that is, administration of different kinds of medicinal enemas is best for mitigating vata. Producing purgation is for pitta, and vomiting is for kapha. Using the medicated oils, both internally and externally, is ideal for mitigating vata, ghee for mitigating pitta, and honey for kapha. And then it continues, D, discrimination, darhya, courage, strong will, and atamadi, virajana, knowledge of the soul, etc., are the ideal therapies for the mind. The notes on this is D, is the ability of the person to decide good and bad, darhya, <laughs> I'm not saying that correctly. I'm not saying any of this correctly, really. But it's the ability to adhere to the good, avoid the bad, and withstand difficulties with strong will. Atmadi, Varajana, is possessing or obtaining correct knowledge of the soul, of the aims and pursuits of the present life, as well of the future life, etc. In other words, a philosophical view of human life. These are especially of great value in the treatment of mental disorders. <clears throat> Um. um, I, uh, so on, uh, ghee for, um, mitigating pitta, um, mm -hmm. I've heard a lot about putting ghee in your coffee to help cut the acidity, and, uh, I do that sometimes. 
So that's nice. like one example of how that works in a practical, <laughs> a practical, practical. sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I think the part of this that stood out the most to me was like the end um, uh, on how um, it's like a philosophical view of human life. And, um, and they say like, you know, like you have to know where you, on as far as mental disorders go or disorders of the mind go, um, knowing where you stand in the bigger picture is like helpful to, um, is helpful to curing that or to, um, to knowing what you should be doing in life or to, you know, being one with the, you know, to, to being part of the, um, the universe, um, knowing your place in the universe. And, um, and I like that they, they don't say which specific view to take. And, um, but it's like you, the role of purpose is essential to your mental health is kind of what they're yeah. saying. Um, um, yeah, I think that's so, that's so amazing, right? Discrimination, courage, strong will, and knowledge of the soul. That's how you, yeah. that's how you treat mental disorders. Those are very, it's a really powerful statement. And it's also not easy. It like sounds easy, but it's not, <laughs> you know, um, I think that, uh, Ayurveda, uh, or well, like when I read this text, a lot of the time, the it's like the prescriptions sound very simple, but applying these simple concepts in real life is a different story. And um, it says a lot about how we, to me, I feel like we tend to overcomplicate things. And um, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I I don't know. There's a lot of concepts here that we're going to end up talking about more. Um, you know, they're just introducing a lot. And um, I don't know that I have a whole lot more to say about this right now. But No, I think, I think yeah, because again. they'll come up so much, I think it's... I mean, I think it is neat to think about treatments of one being... I mean, it's essentially diet and lifestyle versus doing something more... Uh, more extreme and how yeah. lifestyle is a legitimate way to work with diseases um, it's also like because the foundation can... of your your connection to the the greater um, being and the greater being is like the world right like if we yeah. are the microcosm the macrocosm this very foundational or fundamental connection that we have is essential to how these larger how, how how our other faculties are operating yeah if that makes sense yeah it does to me yeah um but like going back to source i think is like it's like the greater lesson you know like for almost everything like if you can just like get back to the basics and build up from there you can solve a lot of your problems yeah yeah, I think so. I mean, related to what you were saying earlier, that I mean, that's everything from like the environment you're in to like what you're eating to all these different things. But it's connection and presence which allow those to, which facilitate that healing and growth. Mm. 
Um, should we move on to Chikitsa Padaha? Yeah, let's go. All right. I think that this might be the last one we should do today. And then I'll, I'll talk about the last two after this. But um, okay. Chikitsa Padaha, uh, four limbs of treatment. Um, the physician, the attendant, nurse, and, uh, sorry, yeah, the drug and the patient are the four limbs of treatment. Each one has four good qualities. The physician must be efficient, having learned the science and all its, in all its meanings, implications from a preceptor, um, must have witnessed the therapies, gained practical experience, and pure, clean in body, mind, and speech. The drug should be suitable for preparing many recipes, possess many good qualities, taste, and other properties, endowed with virtues, genuine, not defective, and suitable to be used in different condition of the doshas, in different diseases, and different types of persons. The attendant, the nurse, should be attached, affectionate, faithful to the patient, clean in body, mind, and speech, efficient in work and intelligence. The patient should be wealthy, obedient to the physician, having good memory, capable of remembering and explaining events connected with probable causes, symptoms, etc., and of strong will, capable of withstanding strain of therapies, etc. Um, I've had a few notes on this one. The first thing uh, that struck me that I wrote, or you can go if you want to. No, go ahead. Yeah. I was just the, um, they mention pureness and cleanliness several different times and how important mm. that is. Um, I don't know. That just struck, that's, I just wrote that down as one line in the, in the first mm. part of my notes, how that means something and not just like that the physician and the nurse need to be clean, that they need to be, um, to come into the space to be people that have that aren't uh, sullied by other things whether that's ego or anything else right yeah that like goes back to the you know that first that first page <laughs> we, yeah exactly you know like like clean mind um ability to see reality without their ego getting in the way um right and coming in with purity to what they're doing right they're not they don't have an ulterior motive or they don't it's very hard to do that to come into a space totally clean Mm, to be able to perceive truth without bias um uh so that you can see what's what's really there definitely um i was interested that um uh, like the the nurse is also like emotional support, um, almost like the way that they're described. Um, they're almost described like as a parental figure, as somebody who is yeah. like gently guiding the patient towards health. Um, and you know, if the doctor is making the decisions, it's the nurse who is helping to implement that and to coach the patient towards healing um emotionally spiritually and physically you know um it's a it's a heavy role to play and i think that's true it really in, is in western medicine too i mean nurses work really hard um it's not it, you end up doing you know you end up the nurses are often the ones that form the relationships with the patients 
Yeah, really often, and they're the ones who... I mean, most people who've spent any time in a hospital for whatever reason will mention their nurses and how much of a role they played in their stay. Mm. Um, it describes... Uh, there was one part uh, on the, the wealthy patient end of strong will, and I was thinking about this. So it's like, oh, why, why does it say wealth? Like, why, why does wealth have to do with it? But I think in, in a way it's describing the ideal patient as someone who can commit to their own recovery with action that is physical, emotional, spiritual, and financial. Um, if you can support your own recovery, then you will be able, you will be able to like commit to it. I mean, Ayurveda isn't something, it's not a magic pill, you know, it's something you have to commit to. And usually it requires you to make changes in your life that are not easy for some people. I think for most people, um, like every client I see, I end up saying like, you have to do this for 30 days <laughs> in order to yeah. see long-term lasting change. Um, and sometimes these things are, they sound small, like waking up a little bit earlier every day, but it's hard for people to break, um, to break habits long, you know, habits they take, spent years building. Um, and so 30 days is, is, a it's quite the commitment. So if you can commit to this financially, physically, <laughs> emotionally, spiritually, then, then you will do it. Um, and on that note, I also thought about, you know, uh, uh, I, I do uh, free sessions a lot of the time for people and my clients that I've, that have not committed financially, um, uh, I'm happy to treat them, but they often are the ones that don't do the whole 30 days. They end up giving up mm. sooner. And I, I just like noticed that when I was reading it, cause I was, there was a part of me that was like, why does the client have to be wealthy? I kind of, my initial response to that was like a little critical. And then when I really thought about my own experience with clients, um, who, who aren't willing to commit that much. Um, even if it's just a little, I just noticed that they're not, they tend to be the ones to give up sooner. Uh, and maybe that, that has something to do with it. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I also thought about how our, like, if you just think of our normal medical system mm. and how if you don't have wealth and that wealth can be wealth of a job with good insurance or the wealth to actually take time off work, how you almost, like, people then have chronic conditions as a result because they can't afford whatever, you know, Western medicine aside, whatever problems there are with it. If you don't have that ability then it's really hard to get better. I think of when I, so I was a pedestrian and hit by a car and I happened to have very good insurance at that time because of my job, which is just kind of silly in this country that that's how it's, they're all interrelated. But as a result, like I could go to four different orthopedic um, 
doctors when I was having a problem, my pelvis was dislocated and it was, it took a while to actually get that diagnosed and then fixed because a couple people like didn't believe me. And so like I had the wealth of being able to do that in time and in money to actually go around and have that fixed. And if I hadn't had that, I never would have been able to. I mean, wealth can also just be having the time to contact someone in Ayurveda too, right? To be able to work on it within your own life, to have that space and brain capacity too. Mm. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, when this was written, I don't know what the, I don't know what wealthy was referring to, but I think it no. might be that, that commitment, you know? Yeah. Um, and the ability to, um, to like, whether it be pay for treatment or, um, or commit to treatment, like your, your wealth can be wealth in spirit. And yeah. Um, yeah, it can it mean a lot of things, but... I mean, the um, wealth and spirit could also be, um, refer to, like, an openness, too, mm. right? So if you're wealthy in spirit, you might f believe in, in that you will get better and have an openness to the treatment, because if you don't believe mm. in it, then usually it doesn't work, right? Yeah, it says wealthy, and, and then that's followed by obedient to the physician, so that, like, yeah. kind of lines up, ha having good memory, so capable yeah. of remembering and explaining events connected with probable causes. So, um, you know, and, and a strong will. So like, yeah, it does like kind of lead through that train of thought right there. Um, and like also the ability to be open, I think says a lot about how in Ayurveda, there's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of like, try this, observe and report back. And, mm -hmm. um, and, when you try something and you observe and you don't necessarily see a change, you have to be patient with that process because I mean, we're dealing with like things that are inside of us um, and we don't have work. You know, I know that nowadays we can do CAT scans and um, take x-rays and whatever, but yeah, I can't see how energy is flowing in your body, like with my eyes, <laughs> you know? So a lot of it is trial and reporting and, um, understanding that um that change takes time and also that you know what what you respond to uh, or what your neighbor responded to doesn't necessarily reflect um what will work for you um every person's different so a lot of it's just learning yourself through the process yeah, definitely. And every disease is different within the person, right? You could be a person who has the same disease two times within your life, but because you're probably not in the same spot as you were and you're older, you know, things have changed. So the disease will be different in, in your body. Mm. Um, I don't know. Interesting you should say that because the next one is the kinds of diseases and it's very long. <laughs> It's like two pages <laughs> of kinds of diseases. And uh, I was thinking the end of this chapter lists a lot of stuff that um, it's, it's one, two, three, four, five, six pages. It's a of lot lists. of lists. And, and I don't think that we're going to have a lot to say about this. And... Um, because it's going, we're going to go into this in detail in other chapters, and because they're kind of lists, um, I'm thinking we might want to do an episode where we just read this, and that might be it, yeah. and then we'll move on to chapter two. Um, 
and we can just like kind of put it out there with less or a little little commentary. Um, it'll be a boring episode for those of you who don't love the um, the the actual text reading portion. But for those of you who <laughs> don't love the banter, you will might you might enjoy it. Um, or you can really appreciate our if you appreciate our incredibly accurate Sanskrit pronunciations, you'll really enjoy the best reading. <laughs> um, you'll be bowled over by our, by our amazing <laughs> handle on the language. So yeah, they're kind one. of interesting. I think that's a really good idea to have the list all together. And I mean, there are, there are some like interesting points just to like how things are grouped together, but it, um, it would be kind of neat to just have it in one in one spot at least for posterity's sake and for reference and things like that yeah so our next episode might be a little boring but um i'm hoping that we start chapter two with a special guest um i'll you know i'll find chapter two is awesome yes i like chapter two a lot i think the the topic like it's just really neat it's such a neat subject and it's so important being acharya, the desire for long life. Being acharya, adhyaya, adhyaya, adhyaya. <laughs> That's fun to say. Um, yeah. So yeah, let's. Um, all right. So I think we can wrap this up, and then yeah, uh, and it's actually we've been talking. Any- wow. I didn't realize we've been talking for so long already. Actually, <laughs> I don't know. So wait, we have one, two, three, four. We did about, yeah, we did about four. So we, we tended, I was like counting, like how many do we get through in an episode? So we usually do about four or five per episode. So um, this one was uh, like right on one hour. Great. <laughs> well done us. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, I hope that you stay cool today. And, yeah, um, I hope you stay cool too. Thanks. And uh, we'll uh, we'll be back with our boring episode next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening. I think I yeah. Thanks for listening. Listen. That's pretty fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, thirty people. All right. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye. Bye.